Welcome to Post Pandemic. I'm Courtney Carthy. This episode, Ben Westoff, investigative journalist and author of several books. One of those is Fentanyl Inc. Each episode, we look at a specific part of society, culture, or the world and ask our guest to imagine what that might be like after all of this is over. And more information about Ben Westoff is in the episode notes where you're listening now. Thanks so much for being on Post Pandemic, Ben. Can you give us an idea of how fentanyl is being used during the global pandemic? There's a lot of talk about illicit fentanyl, and a lot of people don't even know that fentanyl is and has long been an important hospital drug. It is uh, given to people with cancer, people with sort of end-of-life pain, and um, it's also administered in hospitals for things like epidurals when women give birth and uh, colonoscopies for men. and with the opioid crisis, especially has been as has been consuming North America, there have been a lot of new restrictions on how much um, fentanyl and other opioids can be prescribed by doctors. They're trying to get our usage rate down, but with since coronavirus set in, there is a much greater demand for fentanyl for patients suffering from COVID-19 because of its pain-relieving qualities. And so the uh, the FDA, I believe, just recently raised the, the limits for the amounts of um, fentanyl that are allowed to be used in a hospital setting. It's incredibly effective at what it does, right? So it's the most effective of the opioids? Right. It's certainly the strongest. It was developed as kind of an alternative to morphine back in 1960. It was invented by a Belgian scientist. And yeah, it, uh, people don't have as much nausea and other symptoms. And, you know, I don't know if it's a great idea to be giving it to women during childbirth, as it's been shown that it um, can get into the baby's bloodstream a little bit. But it certainly is an effective hospital drug for the most part. I've heard that heroin in the US is another opioid is all cut with fentanyl and a lot of other party drugs are also laced with this cheap synthetic is that right unfortunately it's almost impossible to find pure heroin in a lot of parts of the US anymore it's almost all cut with fentanyl because not only is fentanyl 50 times stronger than heroin it's also much cheaper to produce so it's used as a cost-cutting agent by drug dealers. And not only that, but lots of fentanyl is found often in cocaine and meth, and particularly prescription pills, drugs, pills that are stamped to look exactly like Oxycontins or Percocets, but actually have fentanyl. And that's what killed Prince, killed Tom Petty, and um, some rappers like Little Peep and Mac Miller also died this way. Jeez. You went to China, the, the the source of you know the manufacturing um, of the precursors that are involved in making fentanyl. Uh, those 
precursors you know end up in a myriad of different places we'll get to are you allowed back in china i yeah unfortunately i don't think i am i talked with the u.s state department not too long ago and they strongly advised me not to go a lot of my book is dedicated to exposing this fentanyl production industry and the production of fentanyl precursors and these aren't just illicit underground companies a lot of these companies like the ones that i infiltrated where i went undercover are actually legally sanctioned companies who are in some cases given incentives by the government they're given tax breaks and subsidies so it's very it's really a kind of a bleak portrait of the of a chinese system that is really encouraging the makers of these dangerous chemicals through the tax code what's the um what does the supply chain look like when you hop from the We'll say the the salesperson in I think it was Wuhan you visited, where the company was that sells the precursors. Does the chemical then get shipped to a particular country or through a particular network to eventually end up in the heroin in the U.S.? Yeah, I don't I don't know if Wuhan as a city was well known in Australia before coronavirus, but no one in the U.S. had really heard of the place when I went there in early 2018. And yeah, I found this company that is, was and is distributing more fentanyl precursors than any other company in the world. And so I visited this company and yeah, I was shocked to see hundreds and hundreds of these sort of young, perky salespeople who were sitting at cubicles and selling these fentanyl precursors to the Mexican cartels, to U.S. consumers just selling them all over the globe. And so the, the these fentanyl precursors, which, if you don't know, are the most important, important ingredients necessary to make fentanyl. So once you've got these precursors, you're almost all the way there, and it just takes a little bit more synthesis to turn it into finished fentanyl. And so the Mexican cartels have been buying all of their fentanyl precursors from China. And so it goes from these these Chinese labs, usually on boats, although sometimes on planes, sometimes directly to U.S. consumers and consumers in places like Australia, but often directly to the Mexican cartels. They finish the synthesis. They cut up the fentanyl with with various impurities and cutting agents. And then they cut that into other drugs like heroin, cocaine, and then they ship it across the border, north through the border into the U.S., usually through regular land crossings hidden inside of cars and trucks. And then it's distributed around the U.S. and Canada through the same channels, the same networks that distribute drugs like cocaine and meth and heroin. Wow. I'm looking at a graph, uh, which is a, a timeline of the overdose rates from opioid in the US. Other synthetic opioids sort of like spike up just like the, I suppose, infection rates for COVID-19. And by 2017, their fentanyl and tramadol are killing more people than heroin and other 
prescribed opioids. Why is it so popular in illicit drugs if it's killing people? Yeah, fentanyl is now killing more Americans annually than any drug ever. And the thing is, what makes it different from other opioids and really every other drug that's used in this way is that no, people don't really want it. People are having their fentanyl cut into their drugs that they do want, like heroin and prescription pills. And so, you know, the number one question people ask me is, why would drug dealers do this? Aren't they killing off their clients by giving them these adulterated drugs? And the answer is that, sadly, um, in sort of the addicted user's mindset, if they hear about someone who overdosed on a batch of, say, heroin, they don't try to avoid that batch. A lot of times they want to seek out that same batch because it's so potent. And unfortunately, that's um, that's helped fuel the rise of fentanyl in the U.S. We'll get to the seven questions um, of post-pandemic um, asked of every guest on each episode in just a sec. But Ben, does fentanyl have a straight name? It still seems like it's retained a pretty um, a pretty professional sort of edifice. Yeah, it generally is just still just still known as fentanyl, and that. I saw a paper on the topic, and, and that's kind of seen as an indication that people really don't want it. You know, heroin has tons of nicknames, obviously marijuana, cocaine, all sorts of nicknames, but fentanyl is still just mainly known as fentanyl. Well, just in preparation for the interview, I got in touch with a contact who was able to tell me about a um, their drug dealer who basically had a going out of business sale as the COVID-19 global pandemic ramped up. So, you know, things were going cheap. Um, have you noticed anything like that or heard about anything like that in the US? Because I don't imagine movement, which is essential to a small drug trade, is is essential. Well, there's a number of things happening the first thing is, like I said, Wuhan was the sort of main city where these fentanyl precursors were were being made. And so since the coronavirus, we think, originated there, there was this giant quarantine. It really affected the fentanyl trade. And coming out of other parts of China is the same thing. And so what you're seeing in the U.S. is that there is a very diminished supply of fentanyl and that which there is, is a lot more expensive. At the same time, the demand is certainly not going to go away. There's very large population of addicted users. And when it comes to these other drugs, naturally produce drugs like heroin, cocaine, these drugs are also being stifled. There's supply chains are affecting them as well. And so there is kind of a temporary uh, lull in the market, but in Wuhan already, they've been lifted of the quarantine for the most part. And so you're already starting to see these supply chains open back up. Wow. All right, question one. What will be different, do you think, about fentanyl 
after the pandemic, after the borders open up and things get back to some sort of new normal, what do you think will be different? Unfortunately, I think this is going to accelerate some trends that were already beginning before coronavirus. The Mexican cartels, for example, have already been trying to switch from heroin to fentanyl because, like I said, fentanyl is so much cheaper and it's so much more easy to produce. With heroin, you know, you need to to grow these fields of opium poppies and that's very time consuming. It's very labor intensive. It takes, uh, it's very visible to law enforcement, these big fields. And so the, the cartels were already looking for a way to, to switch over to fentanyl. And so because it's so much more cost effective, because it's so much more discreet to be able to produce, the, the cartels are, are getting in on this in a big way. And the biggest change since coronavirus is that the cartels are now starting to make the fentanyl precursors themselves because the the reason they were getting it from China in the first place is because it's so cheap. You know, the same reason people buy everything from China is because it can be made so cheaply. But since that incentive is, is no longer there with, with uh, coronavirus and the quarantines, the the Mexican cartels have started making the the precursors themselves. So um, I'm not sure if if they're going to continue to do that, but the move towards fentanyl has been set in motion at an even faster rate and um, towards other synthetic drugs as well. Does that mean that traditional illicit drugs like, say, heroin or MDMA could start commanding a premium because... You know, the drug dealer's like, this is actually heroin, it's not cut. It, it could be, but for the most part, you know, that I think that would be sort of a boutique thing. And on the dark web, for example, people who are real drug connoisseurs are already finding these types of, types of vendors. And, you know, they have like Amazon-style star ratings, different vendors. And so the people who have pure drugs, the pure MDMA or heroin, get good ratings, and so the connoisseurs know to buy from them. But your average sort of um, street dealer is not going to be receiving these drugs, and so the people on the street are are going to keep getting the cut the cut stuff, and it's probably only going to get worse. Right. So it's, um, do you know what the precursors to the precursors are? You know, what's the, the absolute raw material that, that goes into making fentanyl when you sort of start the process from from the beginning i don't know the exact chemicals but basically they're they're chemicals that are used in lots of other um, compounds and so there's no way to regulate them because they're just too common and so what's been happening is that the the dea has scheduled the most common precursors and now these Chinese labs have switched over to basically precursors to precursors. And so, but there are so many different kinds that, um, you know, and none of, none of these other ones are banned at all in the U.S. or China. And so these companies like the one in Wuhan, where I went undercover, can basically operate totally in the clear. 
is that because the the is it the the molecule you can you can adjust the molecule slightly to get it out of the sort of illegal zone and back into I think, the legal yeah, zone. Yeah, I think you're thinking of fentanyl analogs, and so but but that's exactly you're you're exactly right about that because fentanyl itself was banned in China decades ago, but until recently, all these different labs had to do was just slightly tweak the fentanyl molecule, and they've got something brand new that not only has similar effects as fentanyl, but now it's totally legal. And so this inspired this in, this entire flourishing industry. Uh, every time China would crack down and make another analog illegal, they just tweak the formula again and the whole process would start over. Have you been in contact with um, with anybody you spoke to either in China or um, in maybe uh, the U.S. government or um, uh, enforcement agencies since COVID-19, since the global pandemic started, about fentanyl and the drug trade? Yeah, I've spoken just sort of anecdotally to some of my sources, and they, um, they're they definitely feeling the heat. Um, the the um, like CBP, the people who are uh, keeping track of the drugs that are flowing into the country are still finding, you know, they're still making these big seizures. And that's a little bit perplexing, but I think it has to do with, you know, the, the amount of traffic generally moving from Mexico to the U.S. has really fallen. And so I think there it's easier to make searches um, you know, there are fewer cars coming through, more time to make searches. And I also think that the cartels have, have had a certain stockpile um, that that they went through, that they kind of are, are going through quickly. And so, um, you know, I, I expect those numbers will change once we have uh, more up-to-date numbers. Mm. Uh, in writing the book, we ever threatened, do you ever get sort of emails or phone calls um, from people selling fentanyl, telling you to give it a rest? I was really lucky. I I spoke with a bunch of dark web dealers, and some of them, yeah, basically did tell me to go F myself from the start, but a surprising number of them really wanted to give their own story. You know, they wanted their voice to be heard, and I think some of them had made this sort of whole, whole moral case for why what they're doing is okay and they they wanted me to hear it so i traveled you know to meet a a dark web fentanyl dealer in person and i describe it in the book um he he brought his young baby daughter and basically he um was an addicted user himself who was selling fentanyl to basically support his kids and so um it was very kind of tugged in my heartstrings a little bit, even though I knew in my head that he was causing a lot of damage. The book is Fentanyl Inc. Uh, you can find a link to it in the episode notes along with other information about Ben. Ben, question two, what do you think will become obsolete post-pandemic in the land of fentanyl? I don't think natural drugs will become obsolete, but I really think that they are slowly 
going to become boutique items, like we said, and that the cartels are going to stop dealing with them. Um, the sort of holy grail, when you think about synthetic drugs, would be a synthetic version of cocaine. And, you know, as we know, cocaine uh, from the cocoa plant, coca plant is mostly grown in Colombia, and then it's processed by the Mexican cartels. But it's it's not only extremely expensive and time-consuming, but the the bloodshed, you know, from this trade is just monumental. And um, there, there are chemists, as we speak, trying to develop a synthetic version of cocaine. And if they did, it would not only drive the price way down, but it would make this product would be everywhere. And, you know, cocaine is, is a drug that's used much more recreationally than heroin. And so uh, a synthetic version of cocaine would sort of flood the market and probably drown out a lot of other drugs. So unfortunately, I think, though, that that's the way things are going. Um, the drugs that can be produced in a lab are simply better business than drugs that have to be grown naturally. Right. But people still want diamonds from Africa or <laughs> diamonds dug up from the ground despite being able to make them in a lab. There's That's true. That's true. That's that's an interesting comparison. Question three, what will be different in your daily life? Fentanyl aside, unless it's something that you recreate with or need. Um what do you reckon? Well, I've you know, I've always thought about what it would be like to spend my days with my kids and now I'm getting that opportunity in spades. It's 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 pretty fun actually to be able to teach them. I mean, I don't know if it's fun for them to be taught by me, but it's fun to you know, we have long extended PE and a lot of a lot of recess. PE is physical education. I don't know if you use that slang in australia but but that but that has been the thing that's changed the most for sure and what um question four what positives do you see coming from the global pandemic either personal or fentanyl we're already seeing that the reduced fentanyl supply in the u.s is causing at least some people to make some good choices there was a report from Ohio. Ohio has been the state that's probably been hit the hardest by the fentanyl epidemic in the whole U.S. And a harm reduction organizer there has been reporting that a lot of people are getting into treatment programs. They're getting signed up on Suboxone and these sort of medication-assisted treatments. And so that is absolutely great news. And I'm not super optimistic that it can that it can continue, but we, we're already seeing some positive trends regarding um, the prescription of opioids, and opioids aren't being prescribed at the rate they were in the past. And so perhaps these things together might have some lasting positive impact. And question five how do you think you describe the pandemic to somebody in the future that didn't experience it i would describe it as basically a slow moving train wreck basically it's you know when you see all these apocalyptic movies it's always something really dramatic happens everything's on fire there's zombies 
you're, you know, prowling through the outback with your rifles and big barrels of water. But this is more like we're still going about our daily business. We walk around our neighborhood, say hi to our neighbors from a distance, work on our computers. It's all these little intangible things have been taken away. And rather than being this heartbreaking, calamitous, one-off event, it's just sort of a very slow kind of stripping away of a lot of the things that make life wonderful. Cory Doctorow on a previous episode, uh, the science fiction writer said that it's worth looking at as like a sped up version of climate change, where climate change is this sort of glacial sort of march towards, you know, extinction, where we've got this opportunity now to see what that might be like sped up. Do you get that sort of, um, do you find that comparison compelling? A little bit, you know, my wife and I are are vegan, and I've talked a lot about how this virus was really a result of the the meat supply chain. And my my hope is that people realize that. I think my wife called it a giant. All the coronavirus relief money is basically a giant subsidy of the meat industry. And you know, I'm hoping people might consider changing their diets after this happened and 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 you know that plays into climate change as well obviously that eating meat is one of the biggest contributors um you know and then I, and another aspect of climate change is i guess all of this has actually been pretty good for climate change that people aren't driving and you can see the mountains and all these places where it was too smoggy before so uh maybe that will be one tiny benefit of all this yeah, I was speaking to a um, uh, an engineer in a future episode. Uh, his argument is that the world, you know, we've got this sort of great break from pollution and, you know, the Indians can see the Himalayas again. But when we sort of kick back in, there's a um, a good chance we'll effectively be gluttons about it. Well, I think the the... The optimists are always going to find reason to be optimistic and the pessimists are always going to find reason to be pessimistic. Question six, if you were going to write a book, film or TV series about the global pandemic, fact or fiction, what would you call it? I read this article about how the Mexican cartels are recruiting scientists, in some cases university scientists, in order to help them make fentanyl. And so... I think it would be interesting to imagine a sort of principled university scientist who is given an offer that he or she can't refuse by the cartels and being forced to make this lethal drug that goes against everything that they stand for. And, uh, you know, since Breaking Bad was such a hit, maybe there could be something to this too. Yeah, and uh, uh, Ozark as well is doing pretty... Is, is not doing too badly on Netflix as well. Yeah, there you go. Uh, question seven, um, what do you think we should be paying attention to now that will affect life after the pandemic? I think what we should be paying attention to is not just China's illicit chemical industry, but the, the legal chemical industry. China also has the biggest 
pharmaceutical industry and the biggest chemical industry in the world. And so the the illicit industry with fentanyl and all that has kind of been an outgrowth of that. But the Chinese economy um, has definitely been damaged by all this. And there's even before coronavirus, there was a lot of talk about how China makes way too much of the world prescription pills and the generic medicines. There's a book called China Rx by Rosemary Gibson that goes into this. And especially now in the wake of coronavirus, people are saying, you know, this, especially Americans are saying, we can't rely on China so much because if they wanted to, say, go to war with us, they wouldn't have to launch any missiles. All they would have to do is basically cut off our supply of medicine. And so um, the one alternative when it comes to both legal and illegal drugs is India. And India is the second biggest producer of a lot of these different pharmaceuticals and chemicals. And India has also been getting into the fentanyl game. There's been big busts of fentanyl in India and a lot of connections between the cartels as well there. And so if we see this industry sort of migrating to, to India, the, the legal industry, we will all, we'll also likely see the illegal industry migrating there. And that could potentially be even worse in terms of the U.S.'s attempt to control the fentanyl trade because India so far surprisingly has shown even less willingness than China to sort of put in place the controls that we would like them to. How long do you think that could take to, to turn around for well, for India? To, are they rapidly scaling up? India definitely has the infrastructure already to do this, but again, it's it's a matter of cost. And so if, uh, if India can start doing it cheaply, I, I'm not sure about how much coronavirus is affecting India, but if their industry is sort of able to recover faster, then that would give them an opportunity to really get in there quickly. Uh, ben, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being on post-pandemic. Thank you, Courtney. It was great talking to you. Ben Westoff, investigative journalist and author of several books. One of those is Fentanyl, Inc. And more information about Ben Westoff is in the episode notes where you're listening now. 